You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week October 8 to October 12. Uh, this week, we uh, were joined in the studio by Pachero Mazembe and Retizo Mumbo, both actors in the excellent uh, show Prize Fighter, which is part of the Melbourne Festival. And we talked a little bit more about my car dramas, which unbelievably continue. Can't believe it. I can, actually. <laughs> uh, also, I got my first aid certificate. Yeah, You're welcome. On. Can save lives. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, and also, I pulled off one of the my greatest achievements of all time, and that was getting Edo to meet Casey Chambers for her 40th birthday. <laughs> uh, and also, we got to chat to Claire Wright um, about her book, You Daughters of Freedom, The Australians Who Won the Vote and Inspired the World. And we're going on holiday for a week, so we're not going to be here for the podcast next week. And Jeff's left early. That's why he's not here. Yeah. Bye, Jeff. Bye. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 R. You are listening to Breakfasters. Now, it might surprise some listeners to know this, but I am now officially more qualified than both Jeff and Sarah to save your life. Really? Yep, yep that's correct. I don't think that would be hard. Certainly, to be more qualified than I am. I I feel like out of the three of us, if we were in a situation where we we all had to save someone's life, I would probably Mm. nominate you even before I knew this. Oh, really? Yeah. Why is that? Like if we were in a gang, like the Scooby Gang, gang. Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) the the solving mysteries, yes, and mysteries. That if we came across someone who needed their life saved, I just think out of the three of us, you would have the right approach. Oh, yes. I trust your temperament. Is that what it – like I, I'd stay calm. Yeah. I, I, I can calmly watch someone die and now. No, I feel but like now, <laughs> I just feel like you have some knowledge about these things. Oh, I do now. I, what I'm trying – I did my first aid course over the weekend. Excellent. Jeez, it took a lot of time. Is there a refresher or was this the first time? It's a, re- a, a refresher. Um, yeah, have done it before. But, jeez, things change. Over How long did it take? Oh, mate. I had to do – on Saturday I had to do like the um, online component, so the theory part of it, and I thought that would take, you know, 20 minutes or something. I thought, oh, yeah, just get on there, read some stuff, do a multiple choice thing, off I go. Sure. Mate, three hours. Oh, really? my God, Oh, three just hours. went on and on. I was just that, like, oh. oh. How do they stop you cheating? It's an online one. Can't you just have another screen open and just Google it? I feel like it's one of those things that that it's more to your benefit if you don't cheat so that if someone does start dying in front of you, you You can help them. We should actually study for this instead of just cheating. You don't really need to cheat. It's one of those things where they they give you information and then they go, yeah, right. based on the information we've just given you, (laughs) what about this question? And you go, oh, yeah, you just told me about that. It's that. You don't need to Google it. You don't need to Google it. It was all you've just got to remember what you've just read, but it was yeah, yeah, three hours. I'm like, oh my god! So there goes there goes my Saturday afternoon. It was fine. I'm happy with that. And then all day Sunday, all day Sunday. Yeah. So I had to be yeah in the city at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, And thankfully, thank thank goodness for smartphones. Otherwise, I never would have. Gone there with this daylight savings. Yeah, I didn't know it was daylight savings either. I mean, I didn't know until five minutes after, you know, after the thing had started and there was heaps of people that were missing. And she's like, oh, I think the, you know, daylight savings got a few people. I'm like, what daylight savings? (laughs) Why did no one tell me about daylight savings? Oh my God, it's a miracle that I'm here. I had no idea, but it was um, anyway. So and then it was yeah all day. It was supposed all to be all day. Yeah, it was supposed to be till five o'clock. But we got out a bit early. Uh-huh. Can I just ask you? After you've mm. learnt the like pumping on the chest thing, yep. and clearing the airways, C- CPR. Yep. Yeah. What else is there to learn? Oh, I, what to do when you get bitten by a snake? Oh, oh whoa! What you do you do? Yep, can help you with that. Um, immobilize. So. Make sure you don't, don't move. move. Yeah. So if it, um, if you got bitten on the leg, I'd probably um, bandage at the um, at the site and bandage it to your other leg. So or oh, that's you know. So you can't move. It's easier for you not to move if I just put both your legs together, or you, I can get a stick. Do, what do you? Do, how do you get them out of the place though to the hospital? Oh, the ambos will come. Ah. come get you. I'll call an ambulance. Do you know they used to do um, with the 
as you call it, the pumping on the heart, the Dr. ABC. Yeah. Used to be Dr. ABC, so you checked for danger. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, you remember that? So it used to be checked for danger. Danger, response, airways. airways. Breathing, circulation. Yeah. Brilliant. Wow. See, I'll wow. save you, Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Save hands. <laughs> but then they, uh, but now it's doctors ABCD. Oh, doctors. doctors. Mm. Okay, so danger. What was the second one? Response. Response. <laughs> S. What's the S? Send for help. Oh. Were people not factoring that in? People were going Absolutely. through that and not calling the ambulance because yeah. it wasn't one of the doctors. So common. Jeez. So oh. common because, you, you know, you're in an emergency you know, you just know about the, oh, that, that, that. And then, like, there was – I heard a story about a guy who was, like, you know, doing the chest pumps going, oh, jeez, I'm getting a bit tired. I hope the ambulance comes here. Oh, no, I haven't called the ambulance. So many people were oh. doing it, so they had to add in – I cannot believe so many people were doing that. I feel like my first response would always be call an ambulance. No, your first response is D. D, check danger. for danger. Mm, I'd forget that, I think. I was going to say when you said that they added the S, the S was going to be stimulus. Oh, what are you stimulating? Well, I don't know that you've checked response and they haven't responded. Oh, so see, you're oh, try, and, try and get them to <laughs> get up. Put a bad smell under their nose. Well, what do you think? What's the D at the end of it for? So what have they got? Doctors A B C D. D. Yeah. Oh no, D is death. That's oh. where. <laughs> that's where it ends. Doctor Death. You, <laughs> after you've done all these things and nothing's worked, they're dead. No. Oh, well. What do you think it is? Oh, um, donut. Donut. I don't know why I said that. I just that was keep the first blood, one that came to my head. Stuff work is pumping on the chair. Give him a donut. Came out of my mouth. Defibrillator. Oh, defibrillator. Mm. So that's you, all else fails. Defibrillate. Are you supposed to do that, or you'll see? The, yeah, if there's one around, they're very. Oh. You'll see them in a lot of shopping centres and and um, I think office workers. You know, I know them at, them at sporting clubs now. That's yeah. been a really big deal. Oh. So do you know how to do that? Yeah, you you would know how to. You can follow the instructions on it. It's really Jeff simple. Jeff would know how to do it. Yeah, they make it really simple. You just put a pad on, and uh, the, it's then you open a tin. I don't know. What <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Sarah, you would be able to do it. Absolutely, but it's just you know, and, and it's really clear instructions on how to do that's it. That's the one. Is that the one where you shout out clear? Yeah. I think. Yeah. We yeah you don't have to but sure you you can but it's just, give me your you know, role yeah. <laughs> no, get you one. to call for an ambulance and you get everyone to stand back that, that, that that's it. but that's the one in all the shows isn't it like the the, the there's no you're not getting those not rubbing things and rubbing them together oh, and going but, no you get there's pads you stick pads oh. on so oh. you get a sticky pad like on one side and then down the bottom uh, so like at the top of the chest and then round the side. Oh. And then, yeah, the, so it goes through the heart and poof, gets it going. Oh. And then they go and then continue CPR, boom. And, yeah, um, so it's 30, um, 30 pumps and two breaths in a minute. Thirty, Yeah, 30, no, oh, anyway, just so pump. Hit us with some more. Um, well, give us a scenario and I'll, I'll tell you how to, how, uh, what I would do. What about if I fell over drunk and suspected that I'd broken my leg? Oh, okay then. Well, uh, I'd have a look, see if it's a, a fracture. So you, yeah. you might you might have a deformed leg. Yeah. And then when I'm bandaging it up, I would leave the fracture bit open so you could. Would yeah, you? Yeah. How do you so know if she's got a fracture? You'd see it. Ah. Like deformed. if you saw it, yeah. Like if it, if oh, a bone's like sticking out. Off on a out, funny angle. Or yeah, yeah. Or if there's an angle, but yeah, you'd you wouldn't bandage up the fracture bit because it might do damage. Really? Yeah. What would you do about her drunkenness? Oh, I'd stimuli. <laughs> I wouldn't. I Donut. Wouldn't, I would not give you anything to eat or drink. Really? No, because Why? you might have to go into surgery. Ah. Kneel by mouth, mate. Never give them anything to eat or drink. Unless you're a diabetic, then I've, absolutely I would give you something, some sugar. Donut. Yeah. Yeah. Give you a donut. Donut. Do you want another one? Yeah, sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just gonna. I don't know. She's come out of the um. The station mm-hmm. after the show. It doesn't have to be me. Still drunk. It doesn't have to oh. be me. <laughs> walks straight why, out. Why still drunk? Walks straight out into the traffic. Pow. Yeah. She's down on the road. Yep. What are you going to do? Danger. Check for danger. That's what you got to do. Stop the traffic. Get everyone and off the road, and then uh, check for a response. Hello, Sarah. Can you hear me? No. Can you hear me? <laughs> Squeeze my fingers if you can hear me. There's no response, and then I would turn to you, Jeff. Call an ambulance. Send for help. And then I would check your airways. 
have a have a look and then that's all right. And then um, check your breathing. So I'd look, listen and feel. So just put my, my ear near your nose and your mouth and you can mm. hear the feel the breath coming out. Oh. And I'd look at your chest to see if that's rising up and down. Mm. And if Would you, you resuscitate me? You'd give me mouth to mouth? Yeah, for sure, mate. Oh, thanks. <laughs> no, no problem at all. Jeff, I'll do it for you as well. Oh, yeah. Like that, would you would wake up in disgust, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> this is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Uh, you're on Triple R with Sarah Jeff and Geraldine. That was Vanessa and she's sitting right out there. And I can see her. Oh, how spooky. <laughs> Anyway, spooky. sorry. My favourite thing is when my voice comes in on the in the car, and I'm in the car with Andrew, and I just turn it up really loudly. Oh, do um, you? <laughs> oh, just to annoy him. Uh, oh, so speaking of cars, you okay? We all have been following the trials and tribulations of me trying to get a new car, which mm-hmm. we which ended yep. with me buying a new car. A Corolla with yep. Jez. It was so it was so exciting. That was the end of the saga. The highs and the lows. Yes, except there's a little footnote. Oh, I know it's not bad. Well, it's li- well it depends who you are. If you're me, I didn't cope very well. <laughs> so when I sold my car the first time, so the Honda, the old like '99 Honda, mm-hmm. beat up, lots of dents in it, but it's a car that my mechanic always used to say to me, "We'll go forever." Like if you just keep on spending money on this, we'll go forever. But it got to the point where I thought I'm spending too much money yeah. on it. Also, it was sunburnt. Yeah, it was sunburnt, and it was there's many things wrong with mm-hmm. it. It was time. Yeah. And I decided it was time. So then I went to a uh, dealership and I bought the car. I, I, I traded it in. And I bought a couple, traded in. It was not, you know. And I bought a car from that dealership, which we know was a problematic car. It ended up having all these problems with it. They couldn't get diagnosed and it sent me crazy. Yes. Yes. But then that car it, got written off. It was the most cursed <laughs> car in the world. And then I got a new car. Anyway, swings and roundabouts. But so the other day, Andrew texts me out of the blue and he goes whatever happened to the Honda that you traded in? And I said, well, they said it was going to the scrapyard. They they, they oh. were like, oh, this is worth like 300 bucks or whatever. We're actually just taking it off your hands. Doing you know? your favour. Yeah, doing your favour is exactly the term they used. You know, so so we can't really give you much money for it, you know, obviously. And I'm like, yeah, cool, it's a, scra- it's a crappy car. Like, I yeah. don't want to have to. I couldn't get it, you know, roadworthy probably. You know, it's one of those things where I don't know if you can get a car like that roadworthy once it's, you know. Yeah, you of course to, you can. Anyway. Uh, not worth spending the money. I don't know that I could have got that roadworthy. But, um. And so I was like, cool, whatever. Didn't negotiate very well with these guys anyway to begin with. And then and then I said to him, I said, oh, I think it just went to the scrapyard. And then he sent me back a picture <gasps> of my of our Honda driving around the streets of Coburg. How really? did you know it was yours? Because it had our number plate on it. <gasps> really? Yeah. So he said he goes, he goes, I saw the like the left oh. dint, then I saw the right dint, then I saw the sunburn, and he goes, God, that looks so much like how our Honda ended up. And then he goes, shit. Oh, how emotional. I'm so emotional, right. But then my response is something weird is going on because they were meant to send that off to the scrapyard. That's what they said to me. So I had a breakdown because I thought, what if they've stolen, like what if they're driving around on my old registration and they're doing illegal things. I don't know. I couldn't handle it. Pretending just... to be you and taking over your entire life. Yeah, well, I just got really paranoid. Oh, my. I know. Oh, my God. I know, like, Andrew. I know. And I got really upset and I rang Andrew and he's like, I shouldn't have told you. I knew I shouldn't have told you. <laughs> did, he, did he get a look of, at who was driving it? No. We've got a photo, but you can't really see the face. But I started having a panic attack and he's like, you have to calm down. Because... Do you know what happened? They they got a roadworthy for your car and they sold it. Yeah. Well, that's it. Uh, well, I don't know how you would have rode with it. It was they had told me it was kind of beyond that, so I just started freaking out. Oh, that it was yeah. like it had become you know part they of some. Did? They bought your car for a hundred bucks, or they knocked a hundred dollars off the price of your car, and then they went, "Oh yeah, it's probably not going to." Well, yeah, it's tough to ride with it, and then they took it straight to the mechanic, and he went through and went, "Yeah, it's totally fine because it's a good car." And then they got it roadworthy and then they sold it for $3,000. It wasn't a good car. It was no way that car would have got $3,000. But we would have got 500 bucks at most. But these That's are the people why. who sold you. $2,500. Nah. These are the people who yeah. sold you another nah. car that wasn't a good car either. Well, I know. <laughs> so this is why, kind of their business model. Well, but this is why I began freaking out. So I was like, there's something dodgy going on here because this is not anyway. So then how I, much they paid for it. I know. Look, really, you can't get a car like that. Like, no, there's nothing online for a car like that over like a thousand bucks. Like, it's just beyond. It's just that era of cars that people aren't driving anymore. Oh. I so 
I had to ring Vic Rose because I couldn't deal with it. So I had to. Oh. <laughs> Okay. I know. The only way I can stop my brain from spiralling mm-hmm. is to actually go and get the evidence that I need to prove that nothing has gone wrong. So yeah, I, sure. I rang Vic Rhodes and I said to the guy, I don't want to sound crazy, but, <laughs> but this oh, is the situation. It's what every crazy person says. <laughs> yeah. And then I said, here's the number plate. And he goes, don't worry, miss. We get calls like this all the time. Oh, really? So it's a common thing because... People must trade in their cars. So it made me feel less crazy. Or he was just trying to make me feel better. I don't know. Anyway, it turns out it's not registered under my name and it's obviously been... Everything's sold. fine. It's all, everything's fine. They ah. just sold the car. They just they? sold the car, yeah. So yeah. the photo was taken in Coburg, is that right? Yeah, so in my area. Li- do you reckon they're living around there? I don't know. Are you sort of Maybe. Like, are you looking out for them all the time? I'd be looking out for them every, all the time. Yeah, every time I've seen my car, I've, I've double-checked to see if it's whose it is, mm. see who's in there. I've always oh, wanted to see my, the car that I sold. Have you? Yeah. Look at, what are the chances, though? Oh, yeah, probably well, not. It hasn't happened. Yeah. yeah. But was the dealership around there? No, I mean, no, closer to like like further down like Essendon, Community Ponds. Right. So not super far away, like but kind of that mm. that corner of the world, but still... Yeah. So it drove what, past Andrew. What would you do if, say, after work today, you're going home and you see the car driving past, what would you do? I kind of want to stop the would person you and ask. Well, oh, you want to ask all the questions, yes. wouldn't you? Yeah. So now I've got this far, I kind of want to stop yeah. them and go, hey, where did you buy this? Who would, are you? Where'd you get this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What would you imagine... Reverse the roles. What if it, you had just bought this car, got a bargain on this car, paid eight hundred dollars for a ninety nine Honda Civic, yeah. and you're cruising around in in that, and then someone you get it, park it, you get out, <coughs> and someone comes up to you and starts going, "Sorry, I don't want to sound crazy, but, <laughs> but I'm a bit crazy." <laughs> but um, where did you out. where did you get this car? What it freaked me out. I just bought it for. I'm not good at. I feel like every time I, I try bet to they make. They paid more than nine hundred dollars for it too. Yeah, mm. maybe they did. Who like? I don't know. It was pretty beat up. There was lots of. Uh, uh, when when uh, you were going to know. that car yard, were they selling like really old crappy cars? No, there were a dealership for actually a European car model, and they just happened to have so like really good European car model dealership. And then they, they wouldn't have sold it in the car. Yeah. they would have put it on. It wouldn't have. They wouldn't have private yeah. sale. Yeah. The yeah. mechanic took it and he sold it. Yeah, that's probably the case. That's what happened. Yeah. Well, uh, if you're driving that car, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> driving my old car. Uh, no, but I, I was thinking too, I don't have a way of, if I saw it, I'm not very good at explaining myself without sounding intense. Yeah. Because well, I get quite nervous. was um, witness to that last night yeah. when we, <laughs> at your thing last night, I, I said to Sarah, would you like to, a bottle of water? Um, and so up the back, we got there was I saw there's two bottles of lightly sparkling water, and I went, "Yep, I'll grab those." And the guy's like, "It's two for five bucks." Um, perfect, got him. And we're sitting down, and then I'm like, "They weren't that cold, so it was like, I oh, just be careful when you open them because they might, you know." But there was no sparkle at all. No there was sparkle. no ch- oh. nothing. Yeah. How do you reckon she reacted to the lack of? Ch- Not well. <laughs> I venture to say, not no. well. She turned around and asked the guy if we were going to be poisoned. <laughs> she goes, oh. Sorry, it's, this is fine, isn't it? I'm not going to, like, it's not poison, is it? It's just... what, what I like about that is what you're expecting him to say is, yeah, I was going to poison you, but <laughs> now, 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 now you woke up to me, I better not I'll poison someone else. Uh, he was like, do you want a refund? I'm like, no, I just don't want to die. It just, you know, I mean, the, it just lost its... Because it was um, a bit old. Also, the use-by date was 2010. Oh, no, a bit later than... Oh, was it? It was like 14. Oh, it's still good. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. Price Fighter is a show that's on as part of the Melbourne International Arts Festival. It's playing at the Northcote Town Hall Arts Centre, opening tomorrow night and running till the 20th of October. It stars Ratito Mambo and Pacharo Mzambi. They're both joining us now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. Good morning, morning. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. Thanks so much for coming in. You guys are both acclaimed actors with a significant body of work behind you on both stage and screen. This show, though, is a little bit different. It's not just a play about boxing. It's a play that actually involves 
boxing. Is, is that right? You're actually up there boxing on stage? That's correct. It's set in a boxing ring. So there's two fights that take place. There's the lead-up fight, then there's the championship fight. But as that fight happens, there's the internal struggle of what this character is going through, Issa. And he's battling his demons inside his mind. They're his greatest strengths, but also greatest weakness. So, yeah, physical and psychological. <laughs> we were just talking before about the amazing poster that people can see all around Melbourne from it. But this is based on a script by Future D. Fidel, which is a great name. Um, what is it actually about? As well as the boxing, what are these, the, the, the traumas that the main character is dealing with? Well, Issa is an ex-child soldier. And he, it's based in the Congo. He's from the Congo. And he's done something as a young child that he's now having to live with. But he finds himself all the way here in Australia and in, in Brisbane. And he meets a boxing coach and he's on his way to becoming an Australian champion. But as that happens within the ring, yeah, he battles his demons and he needs to come to peace with something that he did, he did which I won't say you have to come from tomorrow night <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Um, but yeah, anything more I could add? Um, yeah, I mean, it's an ensemble piece of six actors. So along that journey, there's a lot of different characters that have helped him to get to where he's at in Australia. And it, it just kind of shows his journey from from the Congo to Australia. What role do you play in that? And can you tell us about you getting punched in the face? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Which order? <laughs> Uh, well, we'll start off with the with the role part of it. Um, I mean, look, um, it's theatre, so I play a couple of, well, three different roles, mm-hmm. um, all female character roles. Um, and, yeah, so I play when Issa's young, uh, during Issa's young days, when he gets to Australia. Um, yeah, so I'm trying not to give away too much because the show is very fast and goes very quickly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, me getting punched in the face was because it's a very physical show and I'm one of two women in the show. So the boys are very fit. They're very dedicated and committed. I just happened to be standing in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh. Oh, and no. um, an ex, uh, three, no, ex-heavyweight champion uh, boxer from the US uh, happened to turn around and just squarely punched oh, me. I literally (laughs) saw it. She went up and (gasps) hit the canvas. And this is before we're about to go perform. Were you okay? I was I was fine. I'm a look, the show must go on, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, so I think after that I I had no fear. That's the irony part of it. I mean it happened and then you're like, you know, stuff it, I have to get back on stage and it was numb and did uh, a, a show and then after that I'm like well it's happened again I'm just know how to duck yeah. <laughs> you had no fear you had no feeling yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true it must be how difficult is it as an actor to be being so physical and also delivering lines and changing characters at the mm. same time it is it's tough but I've been boxing since I was 12 and I'm a right. fight fan I love watching it and we had a lot of help Mr Nigel Poulton's the fight choreographer mm-hmm. so Life is a lot easier with him in your corner. Mm. Marcus Johnson is ex-heavyweight. He's been in the fight game. You know, he grew up in the Tyson era. He was fourth, ranked fourth in America at the time. And he makes it a lot easier. Then Gideon Mzambi, he's my bro. We're only a year apart. He's a ex-rugby league player. And, yeah, we've been throwing punches at each other all our lives. <laughs> so now we just got gloves. I was so. going to ask about that. What's it like performing um, with your brother? Do you have sort of sibling rivalry um, that you work out with your gloves? With, or have you always no, been like, close? Raddy knows Gideon. Gideon's the best big brother you could ever have. Um, he looks after me a lot. So... There's never bad intentions with the punches. And, yeah, we've, we grew up playing rugby together, so the physical contact is just part of the play. Uh, well, yeah. But has he done acting before? Or is this kind of a, come on, mate, this is my thing, the no, acting? We've been acting our whole lives. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, he, he's the one who got me into acting. Ah, so, great. yeah, I started my journey at the Australian Acting Academy only because he was there first. Huh. Then he went off and down, done the professional sports route. So it was only probably inevitability that he was going to come back. So I find it so interesting, mm. though, because you don't often think sport and theatre, like jock and drama student, mm. don't usually, mm. what, what was it about acting that yeah. drew you guys in? 
Well, for me initially was we went to a prestigious school up in Ipswich, Ipswich Grammar School, the first secondary school up there on rugby scholarships. Oh. I was looking for a class that was close to three o'clock where I could just stretch and hang out. <laughs> Um, the but girls. then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was an old boy <laughs> Um But then the theatre teacher got me up. But then it did a lot for my confidence because, like you said, it is two different worlds. Mm. You can hide behind being the jock, but mm. art and communication—that that was a different thing. English was a second language. To learn to do Shakespeare and to learn to act is a totally different thing. So. Mm. I think everybody just wants to be heard and yeah. yeah. But it's one and the same thing. Two different theatres. Yeah. yeah. Ritita, you're based in Los Angeles and Sydney. Mm. Would it be different doing this play in LA compared to doing it in Australia? I guess what I mean is Australia at particularly at the moment doesn't have a great track record of dealing with African themes and um, you know, issues to do with um African people. Do you, do you feel that there is a difference between the way these things are experienced in Australia compared to the US? Uh, a big difference. I'm, I'm actually from Melbourne. I'm a Melbourne girl. So Sydney's just for work. Um, so this is my home base. But a massive difference. One of the reasons why I did choose to come back home and work here. Um, look, America has its own issues at the moment with the whole, you know, the police shootings and what's been happening with, you know, the new Trump era, with people coming out of the woodworks. But if this play was to show there, it wouldn't, it would register, but register more here, especially for Melbourne, where I'm very passionate about the story being here because the front pages obviously have been featuring what's happening with the African youth. So this is the perfect timing for people to be watching an Australian story. So yes, they are immigrants, but they're part of the community. So it's it's an Australian African story, but it's it's not an Australian African, it's an Australian story about Australians. And this is why the story is so beautiful. The setting of it being in a bit of a sports kind of arena because people can, you know, they can identify with this young boy and you don't have to be African. You can be from an immigrant or you have your grandparents who were boxers mm. or who had a dream to do something and they're fighting inner demons. So this is the perfect timing for this show to be coming out, especially what's happening with our government and the African youth. Also mainly because they would feel like they're being seen and their stories are being heard and that they matter. Mm. Uh, you're dealing, as you mentioned, with quite traumatic themes in the show. What has been the reaction? I mean, is it something you have to be a bit careful of if there are people coming along who have maybe been through similar experiences? Have you had that come up as an issue? Absolutely. Mm. Um, it's funny. The, the, the lights go out mm. and <laughs> usually the, the audience don't know how to... Uh, Actually, no, a woman best described it the other night in uh, Geelong. Mm-hmm. She said it was harrowing, and but said it in a good way. And yeah. then the words empowering also pop up. We all have stories mm. to, to where we are now. So how do, how do I answer that? It's, <laughs> it's entertaining within the boxing, yeah. but the themes are deep. There's, there's, we went and performed for some youths, some young yeah. kids, and you would look over there and you'd see some kids crying or some kids not who are fresh. They're, wow. they're, we came here when we were five and a half, me and my bro. So we've lived in Australia for a lot longer. But for kids who are 16, 17, recent refugees who come up to you after in show and say, yeah, that scene where this happened and the way those people were taken and that happened, that's exactly what happened. And you don't know whether to... It's a mixed emotions, whether to, well, you feel compassion, yeah. to be thankful or grateful. <laughs> you just go, ah. mm. but you, you, yeah, you are grateful for what you're doing. And by the way, I just didn't want to name the things because yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we try and talk to the audience after we, we, I would definitely feel a duty of care afterwards because people oh, yeah. have a lot of questions so we always so if you do come stay back because we do go in the foyer and we make sure that you are okay by just yeah. just so you see that we're we're like we're we're not you know we're normal we're funny we're cute <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that usually helps people yeah. especially like you say with Gideon like if you see him on the poster and he's got these dreadlocks like he's like the most beautiful vulnerable person yeah. Margie's amazing and Marcus and Mandela and we're you know the, uh, well, four of us are African Zimbabwean South Sudanese Malawian you know so we all come from different parts of Africa telling the story but we're very you know very, as you can hear we're very Australian <laughs> <laughs> Australian <laughs> 
So we do like to talk to people after to make sure that they're okay. Excellent. The show is called Prize Fighter. It's on Northcote Town Hall Arts Centre as part of the Melbourne International Arts Festival. Opening tomorrow night, running until the 20th of October. We've been talking to two of its stars, Ratito Mambo and Pacharo Mazembe. Thank you so much for coming. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. Dr. Claire Wright is an author, historian, broadcaster, speechwriter, and many other things besides, but she's also the author of a new book entitled You Daughters of Freedom, the Australians Who Won the Vote and Inspired the World. She's joining us now to talk about it. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hi, guys. Hi. Welcome back. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you begin this book with a description of an object that you encountered on the walls of Parliament House in Canberra. What was it and how did it lead to this book? This is a beautiful object that I had not previously been aware of. And, and uh, when I discovered it, I was like, how do I not know about this? Why, why isn't this been part of my consciousness in a way that the Eureka flag kind of always has been? And my previous book did centre around the Eureka flag. And so this object is uh, in a very um, prominent part of Parliament House, um, in the Prime Minister's Gallery, where there's all the portraits of previous Prime Ministers. And if you're walking from the House of Reps towards the Senate and you get to the portrait of the Queen and you turn left, you uh, head off towards the Tom Roberts big picture and you'd be forgiven for not realising that on your left in this little tucked away corridor is an incredibly beautiful and huge banner that was painted by a woman called Dora Meeson Coates in um, 1908. And she was an Australian artist who was living in London, in Chelsea, as part of the expat Australian artist community. And it is a banner that was used in the monster suffrage demonstrations in England during this period of time that we're, we're actually quite familiar with because of movies like Suffragette and, and a part of our consciousness that's about, you know, Emmeline Pankhurst and what those British women were doing to get the vote and throwing in themselves in front of horses. But what is painted on this banner is, a, is an image of two allegorical female figures. One of them is Mother Britannia, who is standing and uh, looking diffidently off into the distance and holding a huge trident. And then at her feet is daughter Minerva, who represents Australia. And she's um, on her knees and she is reaching up to Mother Britannia with outstretched open hand. And across the top of the banner is painted Commonwealth of Australia and down the bottom are the words, trust the women mother as I have done. And I needed to understand what those words meant, why this huge banner exists, why it was in Parliament House and why I didn't know anything about it. And that was basically the start of my journey on this book. I reckon that's something that's going to jump out at a lot of readers of this book, this sense that for a brief period in the end of the 19th century, the start of the 20th century, Australia was seen all over the world as the forerunner of a whole series of social reforms, one of which was votes for women. Can you tease that out for us? Because it's a very different image of Australia to the one we have now, where we are the white trash of the Asia Pacific. There is a time when Australia is the social laboratory of the world. Can you tell us about that? That's right. So this, this banner dates back to this first decade of the 20th century, uh, first decade after Federation, so the first decade of a new nation, the newest nation in the world in this new century. And Australia represented uh, a whole range of, of values and attributes and ambitions that many people across the world held. And those were for... Uh, a kind of progress and human rights and a sense of destiny that the world was going to become a better place, that we were going to leave behind a whole raft of, uh, of oppressions and depravities and become um, a, more, a more peaceful, prosperous and a, a place of, of greater equality. So things that we would consider now to be progressive values uh, and that we're in many ways still, still fighting for. And it was seen that 
at this dawn of a new century, that these were things that were going to emerge. They were just on the horizon. The sun was rising on the on the horizon and that this was the new century. And this was also the way that Australia understood itself and its place in the world because as the newest nation and as a nation that had um, a, as a, a series of colonies and now a nation that based itself on many ways on progressive ideas, the eight-hour day, um, votes for working men uh, and and becoming in 1902 the first country in the world where women won the right to full political equality with men, the right to vote and to stand for parliament. White women, Indigenous women did not have these rights. And, and in particular was this fact that Australia was preeminent in democratic practice, leading the world in votes for women at a time where women's rights were the preeminent issue of the day in a way that maybe um, climate change or global warming is is today uh, an international issue. That's that, that's the place that women's rights held at the time, and Australia led the way, and that's what the banner represents. So it was it was so daughter Minerva is saying to Mother England, trust the women, Mother, as I have done. Take my hand, follow me. It's this kind of colonial inversion of, of saying we are actually in the forefront and you are lagging behind and we've done it we've proved that it's okay the sky hasn't fallen as all the anti-suffrage forces said that it was going to and and you need to follow us on this path and it is quite extraordinary you're right jeff because we're so used to thinking of australia as you know the arse end of the world or, or following america into yeah. wars or or being kind of dumbasses in general about things <laughs> where technical where, term <laughs> technical historical term there uh, where whereas i was astounded to discover not only that australia was preeminent in so many of these um, reforms that were seen to be important to this new century, but that the whole world was watching, that the whole world was focused, that newspapers around the world, um, social researchers, um, politicians, presidents like Teddy Roosevelt um, were all looking to Australia quite consciously with open eyes and, and lauding Australia as being this kind of jewel of, in the crown of the Western world because it had achieved so much so quickly. Well, it's within this environment that the emergence of this kind of new woman happens, or feminism, and there's this really great passage you have in um, the book which quotes Henry Lawson's mum writing about what the idea of this new woman is, and um, I'm just going to read it because I think it's so cool. So she writes, oh, not cool, but, like, interesting. It should be easy to recognise this new woman with her hard-faced, big feet, spectacles and the gigam, which she flourishes as she talks and bangs over the heads of men when they do not agree with her. Although unsexed, she has a husband and numerous family, which the which she systematically neglects, particularly the baby. And when I read that, I was so struck by how that could be almost written by a conservative commentator in this in the environment that we're in right now um, where, where there's this kind of further discussion of what feminism is. How many similarities do you see between what, how feminists were treated in this early stages of feminism and how they're treated today? Yeah, it's a really interesting and, and it, that is a cool passage um, because it does, it does sum up so well the way in which these feminists were vilified um, and you know if there was such a thing as the internet they would have been trolled <laughs> yeah and they and it was the, and they were trolled but in other ways through cartoons through newspaper um, depictions of them um, through I mean passages like that were were said quite freely by members of parliament um, yeah. called them all sorts of names it's all in Hansard you can go and, and you can find it um, they were called the shrieking sisterhood um, which is a strike resemblance to fright bats remember yeah. that came out a couple of years ago you know a hundred years or more in between them the shrieking sisterhood and the fright bats this idea that that and this is the one of the things that that um, conservative forces the anti-suffrage forces around the world wanted to to um, the idea they wanted to get across which was that not 
all women, and indeed not most women, wanted the vote. It was just the, the shrill bleatings of a few blue-stockinged liberal types. And we still get that idea today yeah. that, the, that, that feminists, um, that the feminist disruptors who want to destroy the joint are, are, are um, a minority and they don't speak for all women and that, they've, that they're just in it for themselves and they're attention-seeking um, and that they're kind of the, the forces of evil and destruction. And these are very much the same kind of uh, of images that they're that they're sexless and you know people like Clem Ford get these kinds of you know terrible um, trolling and 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 Twitter behavior towards them the, the whole time that is about uh, actually this kind of one version is that they're um, they're not woman enough to have sex with and that the other is that they're shameless hussies and sluts, that slut shaming that we still see um, even, you know, uh, amongst our media and, and our mainstream media today. So the, the parallels are, are really there and you'd like to think that we'd moved on 100 years yeah. <laughs> But not so much. Uh, there's a lot more we could talk about. We haven't even got on to the mass demonstrations uh, in Britain. No, actually, well, look, I will get you to briefly tell us about Muriel Matters in Britain and her balloon protest. Okay, so this this book follows the stories of five particular women who were active in the suffrage movement in Australia and then once Australia won those historic rights, they took their struggle overseas and they wanted to help their less fortunate British sisters to win the same rights. And Muriel Matters was one of those. She was an Adelaide-born girl. She started her her um, life as an actress. She went to Britain in 1905 and was soon um, politicised and radicalised by the suffragette movement that was happening in Britain. And she became a very active and prominent member of one of the suffragette leagues. And her balloon protest is, is uh, fascinating because she harnessed... Um, th- the technology of this new century, which was flight. So this is the same time we're talking about the Wright brothers and and people are just starting to go up in the air. And she hires um, a a balloon, a dirigible, it was called, um, a powered air balloon. And um, she gets the owner of the balloon to write votes for women across it, paints it in large letters. She carries um, about 30 kilos, I think it was, of pamphlets, votes for women pamphlets. And she goes up in the air and her her idea is that she is going to float across um, the halls of... Westminster um, while Parliament is sitting and distribute these leaflets across London. Um, Now things go a bit awry because the wind isn't quite right and she soon goes off course (laughs) but she still does manage to rain down pamphlets uh, across London and then there's this wild kind of chase with a couple of suffragettes in a motor car uh, again (laughs) another symbol of the new age. I mean you can see it as a kind of Keystone Cops thing if you want to. Um, Racing around trying to follow this balloon as it eventually goes down in a hedgerow very far from um, from Westminster um, but it does have the desired effect which is uh, which is to raise enormous amount of publicity for the cause and Muriel Matters was um, nothing um, if not a terrific uh, publicity stunt um, uh, entrepreneur and she became known across the world as that daring Australian girl. A fascinating story. There are plenty more fascinating stories like it in the book You Daughters of Freedom, The Australians Who Won the Vote and Inspired the World. We've been talking to its author, Claire Wright. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. You're listening to Breakfasters with Sarah, Chris and me, Geraldine. Uh Yesterday, I pulled off one of my greatest achievements of all time. I am so excited to hear this story. Great. So, I mentioned earlier in dinner review that it was my mate's Edo's 40th birthday. Ah, the sequel, right? Yes. So, uh, 40's a big year. Um, So, uh, another friend of ours... um, Kate, um, the, the two Kates from the catering show. So this is Anne Edmonds or Helen Badu as well. Um, listeners may be familiar. She's been on the show plenty of times. Anyway, the Kates messaged me um, <clears throat> and were like, McLennan was like, surely we know we have a contact. Who knows who has contact for Casey Chambers? Right, because Anne is the biggest Casey Chambers fan, and it, it still to this day astounds me that they've never met. In, been in the same room together. Um, 
So I went, I reckon I could do this. I work in radio. Surely I've got contacts. Just hit the phones. Yeah. Surely it's only a couple of digits away. You'd think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> I thought it would be... I thought it would be relatively simple, but my goodness. And also, because it's – you want to do it the – I've had situations where I've kind of gone around the back door, so to speak, and they've gone, what, we don't know who you, this is not happening. <laughs> you've got to do things the right way. Right. You mean you've hit someone up on social media and said – which is what you were considering doing. Yes. With Casey, you were like, maybe I'll just direct message her on Twitter. Yeah, she follows me, and then I so I could just get on Twitter. But then it was like – so anyway, the first approach was uh, I went to Simon, Simon Winkler here, our music coordinator, and I said, do you have a contact? And he goes, oh, no, but um, – and Simon, like, stepped up. Like, he was – He loves a challenge. Yeah, it was one of the heroes of this story. So he's the one that he goes, oh, I know um, – he emailed her booking agent. He goes, I know Frank, the booking agent. So emailed him, and a really long, beautiful email. Well, not too long, just, you know, but kind of to the point – um, and we didn't get a response back from him. And, and then the next day I was like, we emailed him again. And then um, he kind of sent us to her manager, like looped her in on the email. And then we're like, what about... Because I knew that she was doing this gig last night, that um, Australian Americana music night thing at the Thornbury Theatre. And I thought, this can happen. Like, it's easy just to grab, surely. Like, they re- both how... It can't be that difficult. Yeah. Come on. And then, she doesn't live in Melbourne, does she? She just happened no. to be no. here. Yeah. 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 And then uh, – so, but we weren't getting any contact from her people. And it was like, what about Denise? What about – Denise our, Highlands. Our oh. very own Denise Highlands is – it was hosting the event. Who knows Casey? Like, as you know, yes. interviewed her a few times. Stroke a genius. Yes. <laughs> and I went, come on, let's go to, let's go to Denise – Anyway, Denise came through with the goods. She's like, oh, yeah, I reckon I could just um, – they have this drinks thing earlier on, like at 6 o'clock. Um, she was there last year. I'd like, I imagine she'd be there again. Uh, I could ask her during the soundtrack, during the day. I'll let you know how it all goes. So I didn't get final word on this until like 3 o'clock in the <gasps> afternoon. Oh. And Denise, you know, emailed me and she said, yep, bring Edo in at 6 and, you know, she'll be there and – it's all happening. I'm like, oh, my God. And then it was like, because I didn't, couldn't let Anne know, so I just had to send her a message. And then it was like hoping that she was free. Yeah. Oh. And I said, because I said, um, you know, happy birthday. Um, I've got a present for you, but I'm picking you up at 5. I have to take you to it. I'm picking you up at 5.30. Um, and then I got no response and I tried calling her and it went straight to oh message God. bank. And I was like, oh, no, I called another friend. And he's like... I think she's just having a nap. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> nap. What, if she's, what? what if she naps until 6 o'clock oh. and she misses out because she's sleeping? I'm like, I have to – anyway, thankfully she um, she sent me a message back going, um, okay, yep, sure, I'll be ready, um, but no rides, please. <laughs> like, oh, right, yeah. And then like, she said she thought that um, I was going to pick her up in a Hummer, like in a big pink <laughs> One of those Hummer. pink ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I rocked up at I rocked up at five thirty. She's like so nervous, and I'm like, come. And then I said, we're going to Thornbury. And then she was like, Thornbury. I've got a mate that lives in Thornbury. And then she was like, maybe, maybe we're going to our mate's place in Thornbury, and she has a horse there, and I'm going to ride a horse. <laughs> Continuing the country theme. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I was like, it was not that. And then so we get to the Thornbury Theatre. And I'm like, don't look at anything, you know. Don't look, don't look around. I didn't want to, you know, see the Casey yeah. Chambers sign. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I said, just look at me. And then um, we had to sit out there for about five or ten minutes because we we're a bit early. And Denise's like, oh, because I'd called Denise when I was walking in, and so because I was talking to Denise, um, Ed, I thought because we we're in the comedy world, she thought Denise Scott. Ah. So she's like, oh, this. Oh, it'll be Janice. Geordie Lane's do it. Will be performing. She's organised for me to get up and perform with Geordie Lane, and she was terrified because she thought I was going to make her perform for I people. I love that she thought that was a present, a birthday present yeah. you'd give her. Yeah, perform at someone yeah. else's show. Yeah. Uh, so she's like, oh, it's not that. And then it was, you know, and then Janice Hart, and she goes, oh, that Janice, of course, you know. And then so then we got wristbands, and uh-huh. then we got taken into, you know, this VIP room. This is such a cool present. Um, and it's just 
And here's the bonus that I didn't know we were getting, drinks. Oh. There's drinks and canapes there. And, you know, Denise is like, she's kind of signed up to she she's not here yet, but she she, she said she'd be here by six, but just here, have a drink and, you know, eat some food and stuff and just smooze with other people. And we're like, yeah, cool, no problem. And so every person that would come over, like we actually knew some people there. So Zoran was there. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know you like country music. And I'm like, yeah, no, I love it, mate. Because <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, and I just every person that came over, I'm oh. like, Edo doesn't know why she's here, <laughs> so don't don't speak to me. Yeah, it was just like I'm just trying to let them know without you know. I said, don't talk about what's happening tonight. Yeah, like just talk. You can talk about anything else except anything that might be happening here tonight. So don't be like, oh, oh. did you know? Anyway, and it was just... I actually can't believe you pulled this off. Like, that is stressful in and of itself. Mate, 40 minutes. Oh, my God. 40 minutes of trying to <laughs> keep calm. I was just as nervous. I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm so excited. And Edo's like, oh, oh man, she's just... I'm like, what do you think's happening? And she's like, I don't know. I'm really scared and nervous. And then, and then you know, it's about 22 and Denise comes over um, and she goes, all right, come with me. And then <gasps> I went, oh, come on, Edo, follow Denise. And then we walked over and then there was Casey Chambers. A vision. Oh, mate. And then they... How did Edo react? She cried because oh. she started walking up. Like halfway over she realised and she just stopped and just went, oh, no, and then turned around. And then I'd bought um, Casey's latest album on vinyl and gave her the record and I said, you know, you can go and get that signed. And then they went over and Denise introduced them and then they hugged and Edo's like, oh, I love you. And Casey, <laughs> Casey's like, oh, I, I don't even know you, but I love you too. Like just so, and it was just um, incredible. And they, you know, they had a bit of a chat and, and Casey went and got the rest of the band to sign the record Aww. as well. Sweet. Um, but yeah, it was, and Edo was just like, oh, this is the best. And she goes, oh, thanks, mate. It's so good. And then we, you know, went to this dinner and she goes, oh, I'm bringing this, brought the record in to show everybody. And then, oh. but then halfway through the night, like more people arrived a bit late. And I said, show them what you got, show them the record. And she picks up the record and, and then I thought she, it was on the other, she was in between me and her. And then as soon as she went down there to pick it up, I went, oh, no. Because about 20 minutes before, someone had spilt, it was Kath, <gasps> had, Kath had spilt my glass of water and it knocked over and I didn't, so it was just drenched. The record. Oh, no, that's so sad. And I saw it and I went, I, it, and it like all the, the signatures were all smudged oh, and gone. Oh, my God. And I was just like, oh, my Oh happening. no! And I felt so. And they were like, they put it down the other end. And like it, it, everyone was like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe it. But then I had a look, at, a close look at it later, and realised it is fine. The, I was looking at the back of the album. There was no signatures there. They had not been washed away. Oh, okay. The, so she's still got all the signatures there oh. and stuff. I don't know. If, I don't know. Maybe if you can source another one. Anyway, what so, an amazing friend you are. Thank Imagine, you. Imagine Smithy if. One of your mates gave you a country singer for your birthday. I know. <laughs> that is actually what that is, isn't it? You're never going to top that. I know. Yeah. I know. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.